I'm Rick Cushman, and this episode of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul is sponsored by the Vancouver International Wine Festival. This is one of the world's most beautiful cities, and the wine tasting is absolutely fabulous. Great food, great wine, largest wine festival in North America. And a special bonus this year, Rick, you won't be there. Ouch. Yes, it does not make a bad argument for showing up, though, I have to say. Maybe it's now's, now's your chance to go because I won't be there. <laughs> um, it's also really one of the best festivals on the planet. And uh, the featured region this year, Paul, as you happen to know because you will be there, is France. Yes, right. That's right. Vive la France. Um, it runs from February 22nd to March 1st. 57 different events, Rick, with uh, tastings, lunches, dinners, and my favorite part are no, some... No, no. He, I know he's going to say here... Seminars. He's, he's talking about the tutored seminars, and I want to warn people, <laughs> Paul is one of the tutors. Yeah, but we have fun. Yeah. And yeah. besides, there's only one of me, so... It's true. Easier to avoid. There, there's only one place they have <laughs> to avoid. Easier to avoid Rick and Paul, and all you have to do is avoid Paul. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, and if you do run to into him or go to one of his festival, uh, one of his seminars, the festival will still be awesome. It'll still be awesome. Still be awesome. There'll be outstanding wines from 15 countries and winemakers and principals from all 163 wineries and 42 wineries from France. Rick, uh, great chase, chance to taste everything from. Burgundy, Bordeaux, Champagne, Provence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hear for Provence. Provence, they are putting a spotlight, a global spotlight, not just a spotlight, but a global spotlight on rosé. And we love rosé. We do indeed. And there's a, a trade event that features principals from all of the wineries on the floor, plus seminars, real sense of the wineries to regions. Great festival. It really is a great festival for trade, too. You know, we we go sort of, well, you go as, uh, you know, the class clown, but we, we go as, as a bit of trade <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a bit of visitor, and it's, it is a lot, lot to see. It's also a great time to explore Vancouver. You know, you still get snow in the mountains. Great and, city for yeah. food, fabulous restaurants, yeah. and yes. nice people. They, they are Canadian, don't you know? They, they even serve me in the restaurants. Well, I was proud of you. You almost didn't spill it all, right? Yeah, that, that one thing where I knocked over the, the, the vase and the, d- d- hit d- the d- duck d- and the Fish tank went down. No. It was not going to happen this year. Yeah, it's all good. And by the way, the festival people are nice too. And they make it super easy for you to eat, drink, get tickets, and book hotels. By the way, the best way to book is through Stay Vancouver Hotels. And they have a pretty outstanding offer. If you book a downtown hotel, and there are 35 of them, and I won't be in any of them this time. So it's a safe bet. Safe bet. Safe bet. So Stay Vancouver Hotels. And get a free ticket, and it's worth up to 150 bucks, which is, is to one of those four international uh, festival tastings on the Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, if I think I have that right. Yeah. And you know, these tastings are huge. They're in the basically part of the Olympic. Remember when they had the yeah. Olympics in Vancouver? Part of those same facilities, and it's a huge room just filled with wineries and, and I, wine. I might add, I don't know that I've ever been anywhere to, in a festival tasting atmosphere that had a better view. Yeah. There's a giant yeah. two stories, three story glass Six walls. Six story. It's just a solid wall of I, glass. It's I think it's maybe fourteen or fifteen no, stories. It could be twenty. Yeah. But it's a big it's a big glass wall. <laughs> it's a big glass wall. <laughs> it's large. And across you're looking at mountains and harbor and yeah, all yeah. kinds of fun stuff. Um and and you know why else they're they're nice? Why is that, Rick? Because the proceeds are going to Vancouver's Bard on the Beach. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. helps put on plays both both on the beach but then also for Shakespeare in the schools. Too. And here's another reason they're nice, Paul. They're inviting me to lead a wine cruise in Bordeaux. That is true. Yes. It's, uh, April 9th through 16th. Yeah, yeah. We will start in the city of Bordeaux right next to the Cité du Vin Wine Museum. And then we go to saint Emilion, We go to 
the Medoc, we go to Saint-Julien, we go to Sauterne. It's going to be wonderful, Rick. Really wonderful. That that sounds like fun, Paul. Yeah, it should be really wonderful, Uh, Rick. I sure wish I could go. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the reasons it's so wonderful, Rick. (laughs) All right. Let's recap about the festival by Paul Lords at Overme. They have 163 wineries from 15 countries, including New Zealand, Spain, Italy, Argentina, and more. France is featured, as we just said, and you can taste some outstanding wines. And they really are from Canadian wines from British Columbia's own Okanagan Valley. Valley. Yep. Good stuff. 57 events, world-class food, world-class city right there. You're in the middle of it. Yep. And you can get your tickets uh, from the Vancouver International Wine Festival. It is March, uh, February 22nd to March 1. If you Google it, you'll find it. If you look it up, it's .ca, vanwinefest.ca, as in Canada. Uh, Just Google it. Have a good time. I'll miss you. And I will see you there. One of us will. Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, are you someone who saves the best for last? Sometimes, for some things, yeah. Which is why you love recording the podcast with me at the end of the day, isn't it? Mm, No. Well, today we're going to talk about what wines to taste first in a tasting. Which has nothing to do with saving the best for last, right? I know. I just wanted to point how much you love recording with me, Paul. No. I appreciate the love. Thank you. <laughs> also today, listeners ask about how long they can keep an open bottle, whether the wine in the big bottles tastes different, and what is a good temperature for storing wine. Plus, yeah. our horrible wine writing sounds like marketing material, and oh, yet it yes. still makes no sense. <laughs> and as usual, we'll be making fun of wine stops. By the way, here we are still yet on the podcast lineup of Capital Public Radio, our yes. friends who let us borrow their studios. And right there next to some of the really big names on their recommended podcast. Yes, they are names. They have a lot of letters. They're large. They're yeah. Well, nice. I think ours is one of the longest. It's probably true. We're trying to be a big name. <laughs> and we are also on Napa Broadcasting, a network that comes out of Napa Valley College, Paul. Number one community college in the state of California, and yet they put us on the air. Academia is shivers in its boots. Uh, and we are on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We are on all kinds of social to ask us a question. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Our handle is Rick and Paul Wine. Go there anytime. Uh, or feel free to remind Paul just how lucky he is to work with me. Not actually the word I'd use, Rick. And also, don't miss the chance to join Paul and some <laughs> lovely Canadians. The Vancouver International Wine Festival, that is February 22nd to March one. Information, tickets, all that good stuff at vanwinefest.ca. That's Canadian, but just Google it. You will find it. Yep. All right. So we got a question to, uh, recently from Karen in Sacramento. Uh-huh. She said, we were tasting in Amador County. So right next door. Right next door. Yeah. Uh, she, she says, first time I've been up there, and I was surprised at how pretty it was and how good many how many good wines were that we found. Well, good for Karen because it's absolutely true. There yes. are fabulous wines up there, and it's very close to Sacramento, and more people in California should know about this. Yeah, and even in Sacramento, I have to say, I, I run a lot of people all don't the time know about that it. just are surprised. Yeah. And, and they're wine, folks that love wine too. So. Yep. And anyway, we'll take Karen's advice, but she has a question. She said, a couple of places let us taste different years of the same wine, but they did it differently. Some started at the youngest. Some started at the oldest. What do you guys recommend? Uh, Start in the middle and work outwards. No. (laughs) Um, Generally, uh, young wines tend to be like Rick, a little brash and uncultured. And older wines tend to be a little more elegant and stylish. And as a result, if you start with the young brash ones, sometimes they can sort of mash your mouth up a little bit. And you 
it's easier to taste the older, more genteel ones first and then work up to the brash and young ones. See, I was going to say the old ones may have often lost their stuff, um, <laughs> while the young ones have so much going on that you'll forget about the old one if you taste the young ones first. But in, in general. In either case, we, we do agree on that. However, you know, I do know lots of uh, very good wine professionals and others who start young and go and go old just to, to taste the development of the wine. Well, and the other thing is if you're in a tasting room, you're generally – if you're going from young to old, you're also going to less – from less expensive to more expensive. Which is how they taste you, right? And that's always the way people – you know, they like to think that, oh, we're getting into better and better stuff. Right. That goes back to it. Wait, is that why you started with the show with saving the best for last? Oh, my gosh. It's all becoming clear now. Yes. Well, when you're when you're an old wine or an old <laughs> podcaster, things things move slowly. Uh, um but you know, there's some other things actually that, and some and some places do them differently too. I mean, there's sort sort of some standards that that make some sense for the same reasons that you don't want to overwhelm the wine after the one that you've tasted. Right, and a lot of these we come into contact with because it's we judge wine competitions, right? right. Exactly. And wine right. competitions organize it this way. I just got back from. Yes, you did. So, and and what they tend to do, although wine competitions don't do the. Red, white to red. That's generally a tasting room, generally a good idea. Well, but a lot of wine competitions, they'll have you taste the whites first and the, then flights of reds, although the more recent trend at a lot of competitions is to do it the other way around. The ones that I ran and or run, I, I prefer that. I prefer to go yeah. red and then when your palate gets a little tired, but, but come back with the But that's when you're tasting a lot of wines at once, uh, you right. know, 20, 30, 40 wines, take yeah. a break for lunch, then what are you going to taste after lunch? Fresh, light wines sometimes are easier. Big red wines make you kind of want to go to sleep. Right. So, yeah. In, in, but in if the it's case just if, four wines or just yeah, six wines, around white to at red. At the house or on a, a tasting too. Yeah. Um, a couple other things too is, is to go, if you can, from low to high alcohol because the high alcohol is going to be a little more powerful. Yeah. It could be totally imbalanced. You may not taste the alcohol, but it's going to enhance a lot of parts about the wine. Although I think more important than the alcohol is sugar. And Absolutely, if you start, which I think is the best way to organize it. If right? you start dry and go to sweet, right. you're way better off. And the example of this is remember what orange juice tastes like after you've just brushed your teeth. Absolutely. So if you taste a sweet wine and then taste a dry wine, it's going to go zow in your mouth. Yeah, that's true. So where do rosés and sparklings fit in in your lineup, Paul? Well, depends. Are they being tasted amongst themselves? Then you go dry to sweet. But if they're in a grouping with with uh, white wines and red wines, I would generally put sparkling at the very first because they tend to be actually the highest in acid. And I would put rosés usually between the whites and the reds, but it kind of depends a little bit on how sweet they are. And sometimes it depends on what some of the whites can be as big and powerful as a rosé. That's true. That's true. And, you know, and having said that about the the sparklings, and I I agree with you, but that, you know, the, the flip side to that is like a glass, as you've heard me say, often a glass of sparkling at the end of a meal yes. is, is really a nice sort of lively yes. palate picker upper. Well, and you find it very helpful because it can remove this red wine stains I, from I, your clothes. I do. What I do is I ask for the bottle and then I just sort of douse my whole shirt <laughs> just, and pants with it. <laughs> and then it, it, I found it is used. Um, one other thing about taste rooms that, you know, this one always drives me a little nuts. I understand they put, put the chocolate nibbles out. Oh uh, yes, and people love eating chocolate, and then I love eating chocolate. Except uh, with red wines, and especially dry red wines, you're really not doing themselves any favors, and, unless it's particularly bitter chocolate. 
the chocolate tends to make the wine taste tart. Particularly bitter. Now we're back to Paul again. So, okay. All right. or, or if you're tasting sweet wines. But be careful yeah, yeah. about those chocolates. All right. So uh, speaking of careful, we have some people who were not careful. and they asked they're us still questions. listening. They asked us questions. They just <laughs> Even listened. worse. Yes. These, Even these, worse. Yeah, so we have a lot of foolish folks. And if you would like to be one of those foolish folks and ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. And we are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify where you can't ask, ask us a question, but you can listen to us and enjoy your day even more. You can listen to us non-answer questions. No, we are gonna, we're going to give thorough answers this time okay. for once. Okay. This is from Jennifer in Granite Bay. She says, how long will an open bottle of wine last? Is there a difference between reds and whites? Yes. Yes for number two and a while for number and, one. Well, and <laughs> let's I – mean, depends on the wine. For yeah. example, uh, Tawny Port. That can stay open of quite a few days and still taste good. Sure. Any fortified or, or, or big big alcohol, big, big sweet, those sorts of wines. Absolutely. Madeira will last forever. Okay. Um, a lot of it has to do with acidity. Wines with higher acid tend to stay fresher longer because the acidity kind of helps the wine stay fresh. Which is why your whites stay fresher longer. And so – but in general, I would say if you open a bottle, you should drink it in the next two or three days. Yeah. You'll start to notice it doesn't taste quite the same. And that means you should pour the rest of it down your throat or yeah. give it to Rick. <laughs> yeah, you'll get this, especially with red, well, either one, you, you'll you start to get a little sourness. Um, and by the way, I've done this experiment. We've talked about this before. I, I did this a couple of different times as an experiment for a couple of different stories, and the result always came out the same. You always poured it down your throat. N- yes, exactly right. I, I did something <laughs> really difficult for me. I didn't finish a whole bunch of bottles of wine. Um, and so it was the same same white wines. I had a handful of different whites, uh, different ways, yep. and had half a bottle left of them all. And same yep. thing with reds. And then I corked them both. It, the, uh, the options were corked. Uh-huh. Or uh, the air pumped out of them, you know those right. pumps, yeah. um, and either in the refrigerator or not in the refrigerator. Yeah. And and what I found was, for both reds and whites, they stored better overnight in the fridge. Yeah, they do. But I also found that the red seemed to be fresher and keep all of its stuff with the pumped out, but the white was better with the cork. Hmm. It seemed that pumping it out, hmm. it seemed to have lost a little bit of its edge, the brightness that makes huh. whites good. So that's always, you know, for white, put the cork back in, stick it in the fridge. Red, if you don't have those pumps, stick a cork it, stick it in the fridge. Yeah. I think um, that's a simple way to do it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's always my little bit of the caution uh, drives my ever patient wife nuts when I go to a restaurant and have a want a glass of red wine, especially at the bar. Yes. And I ask, when did they open when it? When did they open it? And I also it? sort of look to see where it was sitting. Yeah. And if they say, well, we, we opened it last night, but it was in the cold box, that means they care. So Yeah. Yeah. If they're or, telling the if truth. If they're telling the truth. Well, if they knew enough to tell them <laughs> to say that, that's something. So right. at but, least they're at least they're competent liars. But but basically after after two or three days on either one, the white maybe can get another day out of it. Um yeah. if and again, if you have any wines like that that are too old, nobody wants to drink them, send I'm them your, to Rick. I'm your guy. All right. And uh, this is from Eric in San Francisco. He says, my friend just gave me his old wine refrigerator, and he warned me that it wants to keep the wines pretty cold. I think the thermostat doesn't work. It looks great where it is, and they aren't as cold as the fridge. Can I still use it? And what is the ideal temperature for storing? Well, what a great question because, first of all, the ideal temperature is not very warm. So 55 degrees is the classic. It's, Unless it's 58 depending on who you talk to. But Well, yeah. you know, and, and – and That's pretty much the same temperature. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> if you're going to argue about three degrees. Right. Um, and 
it as long as it doesn't freeze, it uh, keeping a wine cold will actually reduce the speed at which it ages. Right. Um, so if it's a running a little cold, I don't think that's a problem, particularly if he's living in an apartment. The rest of the building is probably warm anyway. I think I think he's perfectly fine with yeah. this. Yeah, perfectly fine. I agree. And, and unless it goes on and off, like it stops, it goes up to seventy, comes back down. To oh no no 50. no! That you want the constant temperature right. is more important than cold temperature. Right. But as long as it doesn't get over about seventy, right. as long as it's a constant temperature, you should just be fine. Although Eric, I I'm, I may make one bit of a warning on this: is this this may be driving up your electricity bill. Oh uh, yeah, because it's going to run a little, run a little yeah, heavy yeah. on you. But but it's especially if it looks good. Hey, yeah. I say keep it. Eric doesn't mention whether he's dating. Eric. Yeah, because that you know that that matters. If the wine, well, if it, he's got I'm a good not, looking I'm, wine fridge there. Yeah, you know, oh, that, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're you know. saying. Your date likes the good looking wine fridge. That's it's, right. It's the only reason I have it. I don't, I don't really put anything in there. <laughs> I just want my wife to be impressed. <laughs> and it's ne- that's never going to happen. All right. That is it for questions for now. We're, we're starting to go down the rabbit hole. Uh, so instead, speaking of things down the rabbit hole, I think it's some time for some really horrible wine writing. Yep. Yep. Here come the rabbits. All right. <laughs> Look at them go. <laughs> They're scattering because they know what's they coming. They know it's coming. Exactly. So here's a blogger who probably didn't edit what the winery sent him as their marketing material or and might not have even tasted this wine. But here's what it said. This Cabernet Sauvignon is a bold and dark portrayal of this classic variety. Sourcing grapes from select vineyards and allowing extended cold soak maceration gave this wine intense fruit flavors, smooth velvety tannins, and a color as dark as the night sky. Okay, so hmm. when, I, when I read this, because I found this one, um, yes, you did. Was I was you know, I, luckily there was nobody in the room because mm. I was screaming, "This guy's a moron!" First off, he didn't describe the wine at all. Grapes from select vineyards. Yes. How is that different from any other wine made in this planet? Unselect. Well, some vineyards they didn't know the vineyard. They just <laughs> somebody handed them. Said, "I'm going to go to a vineyard somewhere." <laughs> oh, where am I? I don't know. Yes, grapes from select vineyards and. Allowing extended cold soak maceration. Right. Like of all the things to bring up, right? That means it sits a little while before the fermentation. So it gets maybe had bigger flavors. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. There you go. Oh, and velvety tannins. Oh, and a color as dark as the night sky. Well, and – does it have Thank stars God it's a in cab it? Because if it was a white, I'd be really upset. Well, and yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what a load. The other part about this is is just – Really, for me, very annoying as a, a journalist, or at least at one time in my career, <clears throat> was that <laughs> you know it's just completely dishonest. You yeah. know, if, if this your job as even a pretend wine critic blogger type, and there are plenty of good ones too, but it, you know, is to at least if somebody reads Make an you, effort. Is, is to help them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You're this just, doesn't help anything. Just deceiving them. Yeah. All right. Speaking of not helping anything, however, this is um, a, a more. Clearly, this is not marketing material. Okay. <laughs> Vermentino with just a tad of Sauvignon, that is fermented, comma, naturally, comma, exclusively in stainless steel. So what the guy – I'm going to keep going, but I just that's, need to stop. This I'm is sorry. a grammatic issue. Yeah, that's hard to follow right there. So what he's saying is no, – he's not, he's, not, he's not saying it was fermented naturally, which is what he was trying to say. What he says, it was fermented 
naturally. naturally. Yeah, in stainless steel. Okay, so uh, yeah. yeah, Vermentino in stainless steel with a note of Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. That would have been a simpler way to say that. Yes, right? and the color does not. The color does not stand out, but it does have glittering gl- green reflections and secondary characteristics of deep straw. Wow, but it doesn't stand out. The aroma is clean. Notes of passion fruit, <laughs> pineapple, lychees, and tropical fruits. Exotic spices. The attack on the mouthfeel is fruity and articulated at the end of the mouth, rich in progression. The finish is consistent, and even if it does not end with a bang, the persistence is good. Paired with any seafood dish as well as vegetables. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's a white wine. We got that part. Yep. Yep. Um, but th- this is this is you know the you, attack I, on the mouthfeel. Yeah, the I, I attack. Sort of, Rick. Yes, it, it went right after it, but uh, he's, he's the, the aroma is clean, articulated the, at yes. the end of the mouth. Yeah. That sounds a little bit like the tip of my tongue. Yes, it's articulated at the end of my mouth. Yeah. All all that we don't have any idea about the water, but it is good with, well, it seafood, goes with and seafood and vegetables. Yeah. There you go. Which is pretty much lots of things that anything anyway, that isn't meat. All right, take a deep breath, back out of the rabbit hole, and took some questions <laughs> from some nice people who trust us. Okay. This is from Hannah in Sparks. She says, cool. do those big bottles of wine taste different from the regular size? My boyfriend, possibly, I like this, possibly my temporary boyfriend who keeps mansplaining wine, <laughs> keeps bragging about how he bought this or that giant bottle of something, and it's so much better. Wow. So he apparently thinks size matters, and she doesn't. <laughs> yes. That's exactly it. So, all right. Okay. Well, so, Hannah, size doesn't matter. So no, it, actually, size does matter, it, but not up front. Yeah. It, large bottles of wine tend to age more slowly. Uh, they don't change as much as they age as smaller bottles. And, and a lot of that – Twice as much or more of the wine and the same amount of oxygen. The same amount of oxygen yeah. and also larger thermal mass in a big bottle. So right, it, right. less change in it's temperature. Like a larger cup of so coffee – Cool, the, slower. The good news is that if her boyfriend bought this to open on when their child turns 21, her boyfriend's right. If he bought these big bottles because it makes him feel really important to open them up at the table when people are looking, Hannah, I think you need somebody else. I yeah. don't think this is the right guy for you. On the plus side, if he's opening these things at the table, make him open them. At least got a lot of wine. <laughs> So, so there's something there. That's right. <laughs> this is That's from right. Sean in Sacramento. He says, can you explain why some wines in Italy uh, – so by the way, uh, I just need to say right off the bat to Sean. When somebody says, can you explain why some wines in Italy, the answer is always not really because it's Italy. <laughs> it's but, Italy. Um, can you explain why some wines in Italy have names of grapes and some are places? Does it make a difference in the quality? And how do I know what's in the wine that has a name like Chianti Classico? OK. So let's let's answer the last question first. Because if the wine is named for a region, there is actually an organization in Italy called the Federation of DOCs. DOCs is the Denominazione di Origine Controllata. It means the, the organization that controls all the regional wines in Italy. And they actually have a website and you can actually pull up the website on your phone or your computer and it will tell you what the regulations are for each of these regions. Which is about the only way you're going to get that answer for a lot of these places. Well, uh, for the smaller ones. Yeah. Chianti Classico yeah. is pretty easy. But yeah, Chianti Classico is generally going to be Sangiovese. 80% Sangiovese. Yeah, and in fact, a lot of those places in the central part of Italy are going to end up being Sangiovese. So, so f- first of all, if you really do see a label name for a place and you're not clear, you can go to this federation, this Feder Doc, it's called, and you can look this stuff up. Which is really what you have to do with a lot of European 
wines. Right, not just Italy. Regions. Yeah, not yeah. just Italy. It's true of yeah. Spain, Rioja, right. Ribera del Duero. It's yeah, true and, of Bordeaux, and, Burgundy. Yeah, right, absolutely. So, now, the question is why do some wineries put the grape names on them? And in fact, if they were only being sold in Italy, none of these wines would have grape names on them because the people in Italy know where these regions are and they know what to expect. Well, but, 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 what about... Who, 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 are, you, who are you calling a but, Rick? What, what if it's, uh, say... Uh, de Bruzzo. So that's the grape name. It is. It is. But the official name of that it, wine is Montepulciano de Bruzzo. Right. So that's, so that's you know it's. Yeah. Be, I was going to say because it's Italy. No, it's because in in most cases when they put the grape name on the label, it's because they plan to export the wine. Right. And and as Paul and was saying, in in a lot of those regions, they are not allowed to put the grape name on the the DOC one label. Yeah. They so have to put the name of the region. Um, but I think the, the simplest answer, Sean, is because it's Italy. OK. That's not a very helpful answer, Rick. Well, but when have I been helpful? <laughs> Come on. But it is true. When, when you look at a lot of these regions, um, most regions in Europe will put the region. A few of them will make wines from more than one grape. So – and I don't mean a common a blend. I mean they will make different wines. And when they make different wines in the same region, then, for example, Alsace in France, you will see Riesling, Gewurztraminer, right. Pinot Blanc. Uh, northern, northeastern Italy, Alto Adige, you will see Pinot the, the Grigio. Right, right. You will the see Friolini. Yeah. Friolini. Yeah. The, um, Friolani. And, Friolani. And, um, but, and one of the things is too is in fairness uh, or away from my silliness for the moment um, is that these are places that have been there for a very long time. Italy is a country that is um, very proud of its local – everybody's very proud of their own local stuff. This is a you know country where it used to be people didn't travel that far because we're talking thousands of years ago too. And so the culture developed where people knew what the grapes were. If yeah. you were buying wine from Chianti. But it's, and that's, that's not – I mean, these are these are the European Here, Union guidelines, Europe, yes, absolutely, and they're actually called DOP, and it's a designated origin product. Um, so it's true of everything in Europe. We just use a different system here. Yeah, and well, and we don't have that where only there's only one kind of grape in a region or one one right. certain grapes allowed. Yep. So, anyways, I, I think we sort of answered that. Okay. But, okay. So let's okay. get out. Well, let's, yeah, wow. it's time yeah, we're out of here. Close right. this. So that's it for another round of boss talk. <laughs> Our producer, <laughs> who is rolling his eyes and shaking his head, is Anthony Van. Hook. He's actually <laughs> pounding his head on the table. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on the podcast lineup. And Recommended don't forget, podcast. Don't forget to go to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and at Rick and Paul White. Ask us a question and don't forget also catch Paul at the Vancouver International Wine Festival, February twenty second. March 1. Information is just Google Vancouver White Fest. And uh, stay yep. Vancouver Hotels. Get a downtown hotel. Get a free ticket. Yeah. And International cruiser tasting. with Paul April 9th to 16th. In oh. Bordeaux. Yeah. All kinds of good stuff. I'm looking forward to it. And besides, Rick isn't going. That's saving the best for last. Yeah, I'm looking to the forward to the peace and quiet around here. <laughs> if you learned anything today, we hope it's that Paul really loves recording with me. That's not our lesson. Okay. How about there's no best way to taste wine? Drink out of the open part of the glass. There you go. That's it. Except that's a good one. I'm Ray Christian. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember the best wines are the ones you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.